Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JC with Podcast, part of the Off the Ball Network. This is episode 194, dedicated to a man who on May 10th, 1967, hit his only inside the park home run, Mr. Hank Aaron. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we talk a little bit about what is going on with the Indiana Pacers. Jimbo Fisher is confident going into next season's game against the Alabama Crimson Tide. And there is a horse that just won a major race that got caught cheating. But first, Russell Westbrook does it again. He keeps getting triple doubles. And his next one, he will cross a mark that probably he never thought he would eclipse during his career. When I took a week off from podcasting, this podcast, after the draft, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I said, this is a perfect time to hit the pause button, to back away, take a week off from the podcast, and then come back today. So when I was trying to put together the the rundown for the show and get my thoughts together before hitting record for the first time in a week, I was curious on what would happen between Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that would be phenomenal to lead the show with. You go to the ESPN.com, you watch your ESPN, you watch your sports center. I like to watch CBS Sports uh, HQ. That's around the clock news and updates on things going on in sports. So I frequent that channel quite a bit. It's free on the fire stick and your boy likes free stuff. So I'm doing all of that stuff, all the preparation before trying to do a podcast and doing preparation for other podcasts or the shows that I do. And so all of a sudden, I think it was Saturday evening, and I was not watching the game. I'll be honest with you. I have not watched very many uh, that much basketball at all this year, NBA basketball. I've watched more lately than I did uh, between when the season started and, well, All-Star break was really wrapped up into college basketball. But one thing that's been true from previous years, that's true this year, Russell Westbrook is a stat sheet stuffer. I am not a person that's going to go out on a limb and make statements like triple doubles don't matter. Chasing rebounds, I, I that's stupid. Being a leading rebounder on your team as a guard, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. Now, if I was a coach, I would love for my three or four or five men on the roster position-wise on the court to go ahead and be a leader in that category. But I do understand what it means and what Russell Westbrook does when he's on the court is he draws so much attention, either via rebounding or via just having the ball in his hand or even off the ball sometimes. He can slash to the, to the basket and draw so much attention to himself that him playing this way, it's it can be good. It can be really good for himself. It could also be a problem because the teams are constructed, a lot of teams are constructed in a way that they are constructed in for teams to be successful. But Russell Westbrook has averaged a triple double a few seasons now. Something that I never thought he would do. I'm sure, like I said, there, I'm sure these, these are things that he probably thought he would never do as well. He averaged 23. No, excuse me, not 23. Let me get my numbers correct. He averaged 31, 10, and 10. First year averaging a triple-double, 2016-17 season. Follow that up, averaging 25, 10, and 10. 22, 11, and 10 the following year. Averaged a triple-double three straight season. And this year, statistically, the best averaging for rebounds and best average for assists it's possible that he's ever had throughout his entire NBA career. 
Oh, also, he's averaging 22 points a game for the Washington Wizards, who are currently in ninth place right now in the current Eastern Conference standings. He had a triple-double on Saturday evening. Bradley Bill, his running mate, put up a 50-burger. A 50 they beat the Pacers in overtime. And as it stands right now, yes, I understand, first time you're playing on this team, you're averaging a triple-double, you're doing certain things that nobody on the team has ever had a guy do before, so it might slow down their production. But what we also see is Russell Westbrook is doing things that many people said he would never do or couldn't do after he did it the very first time. Russell Westbrook, what are we finding from him right now? He's consistently going all out on the court. He is helping his team be successful. And due to what is the play in tournament, which I am not a fan of, he is possibly going to help his team make the playoffs this year. Oh. He might break a record that Oscar Robertson has held for decades. For decades. Currently, they're both tied 181 total career triple-doubles. One more triple-double for Russell Westbrook. If it doesn't come this year, I think it was definitely going to come next year because I believe he's going to get one more triple-double, at least one more, and set that record. Hey, I'm not going to say Russell Westbrook is in, is in my top 10 of current players or top 10 of all time. I'm not going to do that. But what I will say is that young man is fun to watch. That young man goes all out. And imagine if the top players in the NBA went all out like Russell Westbrook did every time they're on the court. We might see some amazing things happen every single night. NBA basketball is still fantastic. And Russell Westbrook is part of the reason the game is just that. Let's go ahead and take a trip to Indianapolis, Indiana, because the Pacers organization under first-year coach, the new Nate, as I'll call him throughout the rest of this next segment, things are a little wacky, a little off, and, well, just playing out messy. One thing I pride myself on is pronouncing names correctly, from athletes to coaches to people in the media to the random guy that I meet on the street. I pride myself on pronouncing names correctly. Generally, generally, with just sounding things out, I won't have to go to the YouTube or the TV to hear somebody else say the name so I know how to say said name. I will simply just look at it, sound that bad boy out, and nine times out of ten, your boy is correct. Well, the Indiana Pacers head coach, and I'm saying this up front on purpose because we're going to set some groundwork for the next for the rest of this segment. Well, the old Pacers coach, Nate McMillan, old Nate as some people call him in some articles that I have read, old Nate, makes sense. Nate McMillan, pretty easy to say. The new head coach, you could call him Nate B, Nate Bjorkwin. I don't know exactly how to say his name and I think I'm butchering it. So I'm going to call him new Nate, old Nate Nate McMillan, new Nate, the new head coach of the Indiana Pacers. You could also call him Nate B. Well, new Nate, when he came in to be the head coach of the Indiana Pacers, it came right after Nate McMillan was let go. Nate McMillan would have been let go a few months earlier than he was, but since the NBA shut down last year and Nate McMillan's contract ran out while the NBA play was, play was suspended, the Pacers had to figure something out. Should we keep Nate McMillan for a few more months and see what happens? Or should we let one of the assistant coaches be promoted to interim head coach for the NBA bubble? 
They kept Nate McMillan around. Nate McMillan was the head coach during the NBA bubble in the playoffs. I believe the Pacers got beat. It was a four-game sweep. The Miami Heat beat them, and the Heat went on to be runners-up last year in the NBA season, NBA championship, losing to the Los Angeles Lakers. Nate McMillan, old Nate, is out now in Atlanta doing some really good things, and well, <laughs> Players really help with that too. And new Nate comes into the Indiana Pacers and Pacers fans. Let me just tell you, Pacers fans are tired of being mediocre. They're tired of just going on and, well, barely getting by. Pacers fans are tired of first round exits. Pacers fans are tired of a lot. So you bring in new Nate and new Nate has an ability to implement his system. Let the players know what he's going to do and showcase his voice and say, well, this is how I'm going to run things. This is how I'm going to treat people. This is how I'm going to be the head man and call the shots here as the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. Well, about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago now, there was a report that came out that new Nate first year, his voice was not being received like he thought it should be. There was some discord inside the organization, of course, with the injuries that the Pacers have had and the losing that the Pacers have had currently 31 and 36 on the season, 46.3% winning percentage, and they're in 10th place in the Eastern Conference standings. Now, with the current status of the play-in tournament, they'll be able to play in said tournament, but that's not really where you want to be. You want to be top six with the current way the NBA is going to fill in the final two slots in the Eastern and Western Conference brackets. Oh, side note, can I say something very quickly? I have not spent much time on going in on the play-in tournament. A lot of other people have done that. I think this is, I think part of the reason the play-in tournament is going on right now is not for parity. It's not to see to have the ninth and 10th seeds. Well, not parity is not the right word. It's not for the ninth and 10th seeds to have a possibility of playing in the NBA tournament or NBA playoffs. Wrong league. I think the main motivation for this is for money. It is absolutely for money. Factor this in. So the NBA last year shut things down, went down to the bubble and spent over a million dollars. Yes, over a million dollars in said bubble down there in Orlando, Florida to resume the NBA season. No fans were there. They had to pay for testing. They had to pay for hotels, had to pay for food. Had to pay for travel, had to pay for a lot. The equipment inside the arena, had to pay to rent said arena. There was a lot of things that went on down there as well. Oh, might I add you, the WNBA had a bubble inside IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida. The WNBA does not make any money. They're simply a league because the NBA keeps them afloat. Yes, the ratings have been up for the WNBA. Yes, the players are more vocal um, on Twitter and about just certain issues that they want to speak up about. But the WNBA is not a self-sufficient league. So the NBA is tasked with two things. One, make as much money as we can so we can try to fill in what we had to spend last year or we didn't expect to spend said, that, that amount of money. And two, help the WNBA to keep them afloat to keep that league around. Think about the WNBA for a second. We'll get back to the Pacers. But the WNBA, when it first came out back in the mid to late 90s, that thing was big. It was huge. And I remember looking at games, Houston Comets, New York Liberty, Indiana Fever locally where I live. And these games had a lot of people at them. I mean, it wasn't very, very hard to look. WNBA Finals, first 
three to five years. I know the first year, first three to five years, those bad boys are sold out. L.A. Sparks, Staples Center, New York Liberty, Madison Square Garden. You had the Houston, uh, Houston Comets. I forget where they played. And the other teams that are around the WNBA, it was fun to watch the women play basketball. Has the, has the skill got better of the players? Yes, it has. Have more people gone to games with the skill being better? No. And people wonder why the WNBA women are do or the why the league is the way that it is. It's self it's not self sufficient. Self sufficient. It's staying afloat by the by the NBA. And the NBA is trying to get as much money as they can. And here comes the play a tournament, not only for the Eastern Conference, but the Western Conference as well. I am not a fan of it because if you're going to have the top eight seeds make the playoffs, why not have the, you play, what, 70, 72 games this year, a normal year, 82 games? How about we let them figure out who does that within the regular season and not have a wild card-esque type of tournament? Now, if you want to have a wild card-esque type of tournament, how about you have the ninth and t- eighth and ninth seeds battle it out for a one game winner takes all winner goes to the playoff set style like the Major League Baseball does. I would think that'd be more ideal. You'll get a lot of eyeballs. You get a lot of fans to watch if you did that. Oh, I do also think that towards the NBA playoffs, you'll see more. You see more fans in stands, which means more fun- money for the NBA. So the play-in tournament, 7, 8, 9, 10, Boston, Charlotte, Washington, and Indiana for the Eastern Conference. You're going to see that for the Western Conference. You have Lakers, Warriors, Grizzlies, and Spurs. Trust me, you're going to get a lot of fans that want to go to those games. Having the play-in tournament to make all the money you can to fill in what you spent last year. Yeah, I think it's more of a money grab, not for entertainment value, but you and I will watch that brand and that level of basketball right before the playoffs start back to the Indiana Pacers so like I mentioned about a month ago there was a report that came out that things weren't going well inside the organization and you're wondering would they be the same way if the Pacers were winning Uh, I don't think it would be as bad as it currently is I think winning kind of covers up a lot Uh, some some one person said winning covers a multitude of sins now I'm not trying to say that this is like a a sin-esque where the Bible is coming in like that. I, I'm not trying to bring church and all this, but that is a statement that, well, <laughs> look at it. Winning does cover up a lot and covers up a multitude of sins. And the sins are maybe the, the disgruntled athletes and disgruntled players and the behaviors that are out there that normally would be kept in a box. But when you're losing, these things happen. And then there was a game the Pacers recently played the opponent escapes me, but I do know with about two and a half minutes left, it was in either the fourth or third quarter. Gogo Batazzi was guarding Mo Harkless. Mo Harkless drove by Gogo Batazzi. Gogo Batazzi is a center for the Pacers. Goga let him go by. Um, didn't really have much resistance. Uh, Mo Harkless got a dunk. Uh, it was either a regular dunk or, or, or a second chance dunk. Whatever it was, he scored two points. And so assistant coach Greg Foster, former NBA player, NBA journeyman, got on Goga Batadze for that very lack of effort that he put forth in that defensive possession. Goga Batadze goes back down, Pacers go down um, on offense, move the ball around. Goga Batadze uh, spots up for a three. He's, he has a, has a few feet of, uh, he's pretty open, cash money wet. Goes back down to the other end of the court. Now, remember, previously before the Pacers got the ball, when Goga Batazzi let Mo Harkless go to the rim and score, 
Greg Foster, assistant coach, got on Gogo Batazzi for what Gogo Batazzi did. Well, lack of effort on defense. Gogo Batazzi goes back down. When he goes back on defense after hitting the three, he looks over at Greg Foster. Remember, long NBA journeyman, longtime NBA player. And Gogo Batazzi says, sit the F down. Now, he did not say F. He said the actual word, but we're going to keep it delicate for all of the ears that are listening to this podcast right now. And things got a little heated. There was a dead ball. Greg Foster went after him. He had to be held back by Miles Turner and other people that are a part of the Pacers organization. And people think things start right here. Remember how I made the statement, winning covers a multitude of sins. And I mentioned earlier, about 10 minutes ago, that there's one word that comes to my mind when trying to describe what's going on with the Indiana Pacers. That word is messy, messy, yes, the attitudes are not, people aren't happy. A lot of injuries in the Pacers organization. They're not winning like you want. Pacers fans are not happy. It's a mess. I have seen people on the Twitter that have said, I am turning the game off because I do not understand and want to associate myself with this culture that is inside the Pacers organization. It's not fun. It's not exciting. I have seen people say, bring back old Nate, Nate McMillan for what he's doing in Atlanta. <laughs> Y'all crazy. Nate McMillan's track record is not one that is good. He doesn't really get out the first round. I think he's got out the first round in the playoffs once. And he has made multiple stops along his journey as being a head coach in the National Basketball Association. I think firing letting go of old Nate was proper. I think new Nate is just realizing being a head coach in the NBA. <laughs> this ain't for everybody, buddy. You got a lot on your hands, a lot on your plate. 10 seed right now in the Eastern Conference. There's a good chance you'll keep that 10 seed, have to play in the play in tournament. You better hope, you better hope you can figure things out very well because if you can't and things don't go well and you miss the playoffs, I don't like calling, I don't call for a person's job, but there have been rumblings that new Nate might be out of town after one year as a head coach in the NBA for the Pacers. The last person I thought about that that happened to, or they had an early exit, prominent name, maybe not the last one, but prominent name, David Blatt, LeBron's coach, first coach when he came back to Cleveland. David Blatt got fired after a year and a half of being the head coach there, and he was first place in the Eastern, he got fired, and his team went to the NBA Finals the year before. So maybe, I'm not one saying that this is proper, or that I want the man to get fired, but if the Pacers go down this road and firing new Nate, maybe the new coach will do what Tyloo did in Cleveland. But then again, I don't know. Because the Simons, the owner of the team, don't like to open up the checkbook. And well, when it comes to getting a prominent free agent, how many have the Pacers had over the past few years that they have gotten via free agency? None. I would want the Pacers to be very good. It makes my job and my life a lot more enjoyable. But new Nate, you better hope you can figure things out very, very quickly. The season, it's almost over. One week left in the play-in tournament. You stay in that play-in tournament race, you might have a chance to keep your job because what's going on inside the organization is not fun, it's not enjoyable. And I don't like seeing fans complain because when I watch the game, there's a reason for them to complain. One thing I love about podcasting, I'm constantly improving and learning how to make the show a whole lot better. Learning what you, the listener, could like to consume, what you enjoy, and 
bring more of that consistently here on the podcast. So last year, I did a title of an episode. It was called Jimbo Needs to Stop. Not about Jimbo Fisher, but about Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh had accused Ohio State of cheating probably during the dead period when Ohio State got quite a few commits when schools could have no contact with these recruits. And here we are. Jim Harbaugh accused Ohio State of cheating. Ryan Day clapped back. We're going to hang 100 on him. Unfortunately, the game last year was canceled due to the Rona. And looking forward to this upcoming game this season because, well, I do think Ohio State, it's possible. They'll hang 100 on him. But I went back at that title. I said Jimbo Fisher. I know oh, no, Jimbo needs to stop. And I know that when it comes to Apple Podcasts, if you search a name, certain episodes with that name in the title will come up. So maybe going forward, I will not use Jimbo as a way to have some fun with Jim Harbaugh's name, but only stick it with Jimbo Fisher, as that is what we call the man that is officially named John James Fisher Jr. But Jimbo Fisher is a coach, former coach at at Florida State, current coach at Texas A&M, had a year off in between his stints at Florida State and at Texas A&M, did win the national championship with Jameis Winston as his, as his quarterback while at Florida State during the 2013 season, the final year of the BCS uh, Bowls, BCS National Championship. The very next year, that was when the um, that was the very next year, that was when the college football playoff uh, tournament or playoff and national championship game were put into place. And we saw Jimbo Fisher, the Rose Bowl against Oregon, really get embarrassed. Jameis Winston really, well, I won't say he really got exposed. He was exposed all year long, but that game was really, 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 really bad for what we saw from Jameis Winston, and then things started to unravel for Jimbo Fisher down there in Tallahassee. He gets fired, let go in 2017. 2018, he takes over as the head man there in Texas at Texas A&M. And here we go this year. Texas A&M coming off a really good season last year. Texas A&M, a team that is looking to turn some heads. And Texas A&M head coach Jimbo Fisher is very confident in his team and what they can potentially do in the upcoming season. It's May. There's a lot of time between now and then between what is going on right now, May 10th, or whenever you listen to this episode and when the start of the college football season will happen. There is a lot that can go on. And you know what else is going to happen? Coaches like Jimbo Fisher will be asked questions about their football team, the team that they coach, and what their expectations are for next season. And you know Jimbo Fisher, when you think about the SEC rankings from last season, what happened last year, who played in the SEC championship, Alabama and Florida, how successful A&M was last year. People are going to ask about one man, one man only, because really Jimbo Fisher, Dan Mullen, okay, cool. But there's a guy by the name of Nick Saban that used to be the head coach and the boss of Jimbo Fisher. And people are curious what A&M will do next season when they play Alabama. And you know what Jimbo Fisher had to say about this? He said, oh, we're going to beat their ASS. Once again, I'm not going to actually say the word, spell it out. There may be kids in the car trying to help them out. So Jimbo Fisher says that he is going to beat Alabama. Do I knock what he said? Absolutely not. 
If I'm a head coach at a college or middle school or high school or NBA professional or overseas or G League or whatever league you want to talk about, old school, well, old school when I was younger, NFL Europe, whatever it is, I believe and I want to be confident that coming off a 9-1 and win season, that my team can beat the best in the conference. 9-1 and win season, bowl, not bowl, orange bowl win as well. That is three bowl wins since Jimbo Fisher has taken over at Texas A&M, the Gator Bowl, the Texas Bowl, and the Orange Bowl going 9-4, and 8-5. and five. Yes, 9-4, and 8-5, and five, and then 9-1 and one this past season. A lot of early success for a team in A&M. That's pretty average. That 9-1 season is pretty good. The last time they had a double-digit win season was 11-2 in 2012. They ended up winning the Cotton Bowl that year. I believe the head coach was Kevin Sumlin. Also, when you have Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, and the way that he was captivizing uh, uh, when he was when he would grab grab everybody's attention. I don't know what word I was trying to say when I said capitalizing or uh, whatever that word was. I do know I just can't spit it out right now and say it clearly. But when he grabbed everybody's attention and everybody gravitated towards the television, when Johnny Manziel was on the TV, and it was fun to watch, 11-2, but then they went back to their 8-win, 9-win, maybe a 7-win season, just pretty mediocre, get to a bowl game, you could be successful, but that was about it. And then, as I go back and look at Texas A&M's schedule for this upcoming season, you all wonder, when do they play Alabama? When do they possibly play Nick Saban? And we have all seen the track record of what Nick Saban, former Nick Nick Saban assistants do when they play Alabama, or excuse me, when they play Nick Saban. No matter if Nick Saban, if you were under Nick Saban in the NFL at LSU or at Alabama, you see what it is, what happens when this actually takes place. The game, October 9th, Saturday, Alabama plays Texas A&M. The Aggies are home at Kyle Field. I am pretty sure the 102 plus thousand seat field or stadium will be filled to capacity maybe standing room only cbs sports will not have the sec every single week but i'm pretty sure that will probably be the sec game of the week that weekend if not abc might get that game but i'm pretty sure that maybe cbs 330 eastern 230 central time since that's where a lot of the sec schools are and let me just tell you guys i'm very very excited for this matchup there's a lot of talent at Texas A&M. I've been doing uh, some looking at recruiting, and there's a possibility for A&M to have three or four first-round picks in next year's draft. We know what to expect from Alabama. We know what to expect for the other top schools around the country. But this game right here, if Alabama can – not Alabama. If the Aggies can pull this off and pull off this upset – I mean, it's Alabama, Nick Saban – Fisher and AM, I'm pretty sure the the Crimson Tide will be favored. If this gets pulled off, you will hear sound from Jimbo Fisher when he was asked about facing Saban next year, and he says, We're gonna beat their ASS. Saban was asked a question about this very comment that was made by Jimbo Fisher when they when the reporter asked Saban what his response was to Mr. Fisher's statement. 
Nick Saban said, in golf? Question mark, and had a smile and started laughing. And the reporter started laughing as well. This is what I love about sports. This is what I love about coaches back and forth. Yes, you used to be my boss, but right now I believe and I'm confident in my team and that we can beat y'all this year. Speaking of winning, speaking of beating people, well, not so much beating people, but the Kentucky Derby, a race of horses, a race that, well, it is a race that is two minutes around a track in Louisville, Kentucky, and when you see the race, it's a, it's a mile and a quarter race, 10 furlongs or 10 kilometers, and if you want to use those measurements as well, not very long. But what we find is that it is field. It's a big party. We see people like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And I think I saw A.J. Haw- AJ Hawk and, and uh, Aaron Rodgers' little a group that he went to the Derby with. And we see a lot of money put out as well. And there's a test that happens afterwards. And this is where things get a little fuzzy to me, a little interesting. I don't follow the horse racing. I don't at all. If there's a guy, whoever wins the the uh, Kentucky Derby, I will probably watch the next race, which I think is a Preakness as far as the Triple Crown. Then there's, there's another race, and I forget exactly what that is. But I will follow that a little bit. But when it comes to horse racing, like aside from the gambling that goes on and the other races that go on, I believe it's a it's a Friday, Saturday ordeal as far as how the races that go on that that consume and take up the space that is the Kentucky Derby. You look down there, you see the women that have the hats. And I mean, trust me, it's a who's who of A-list celebrities. And some of your friends might go as well. I have never been to the Derby. I I mean, I might go. I mean, I like sports. I like, I like races. I like speed. But I have never once in my life thought that that would be the case. But one thing I noticed about the Derby recently... The Derby tests horses for illegal substances after the race. Think about if that happened in baseball or if it happened in football or basketball or any other sport out there. If they test you after the race for illegal substances, not prior to the race for illegal substances. Oh, it does take a week for the results to come back. Whatever the testing them for just takes a week. Not a big deal. But when I read the report that it said that they were testing the horse after said race, I thought it was a little odd. But at the same time, you're hoping everything comes back clean so nobody loses money. Nobody has to be taken out of first place and somebody else gets propelled because the second place winner didn't cheat. The first place winner did. But that's what we have on our hands right now. The winning horse of the Kentucky Derby, Medina Spirit, fails a drug test and the trainer was suspended. You can't really suspend a horse. Because the horse, did, the horse cannot inject itself with the drugs or cannot inject itself with anything. Maybe it was something that was eaten. But once again, if the horse is eating something, the food a lot of times, especially with these horses, it is prepared and it was given by somebody that is an expert in this field. So no, I'm not going to knock the horse for the, what happened and for failing the drug test. It's more for the Hall of Fame trainer, Bob Baffert, that has been indefinitely suspended from Churchill Downs in Louisville, Kentucky. That report came out just a couple, well, just a day ago. Baffert said the horse tested positive for 21, count them, 21 
picograms of betamethasum. 11 picograms above the legal limit in Kentucky racing. Shortly after Churchill Downs, which hosts the Derby, announced his suspension. And then I'm trying to scroll and find the amount of money that the trainer, Bob Baffert, had to give back. But Bob Baffert did get suspended and had to give the winnings back. That's a lot of money. But there's a price you pay for cheating. We don't want our athletes to cheat. People knock Barry Bonds. People knock Brian Cushing in the NFL. Um, LeRon Landry, former safety in the NFL. You look at him, you think he's on something, and he was. People get on people all the time, but maybe we don't think about things like the races, the horse racing, the jockey might be on something. The horse might be on something. We want to know a sport that has a lot of cheating going on, and it wasn't just Lance Armstrong cycling. Tour de France, Tour de France, those type of races. Those cyclists are on a lot. You know what else? Probably some pitchers in today's game. Not as many as it used to be, but probably cheaters. Nah, you can win temporarily, but eventually y'all going to get caught. Thank you guys so much for listening and enjoying another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you have an email you want to send my way, send it to jstevenspod at gmail.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for a new podcast to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth, the things that we enjoy in life we are almost willing to and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode number one, be sure to let people know about the podcast. This has been episode 194 of the Jason Podcast. I will see you next time.